You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Christos, and with me today are Kelvin and Mark. Uh, happy Sunday, gentlemen. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, which is strange that we say that considering the listeners will be listening on a Thursday, but happy Sunday anyway. Happy Thanksgiving week approaching for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't even feel like Sunday. I, I was, um, I'm, I'm off for a nice extended nine days here, so I'm just kind of in my own little temporal vortex of, you know, not space and time mean nothing to me. It's interesting living so close to Plymouth, Massachusetts, and like Plymouth Rock, and like where the Mayflower landed, and all the first Thanksgiving. I've never been to Plymouth, and it's, I, I mean, I could probably drive there within like thirty minutes. I've never been so. I've got to check that out. It's funny. I was, uh, I listened to, or listened to, I watch uh, The Gilded Age and, and um, Christine Baranski kind of serves as the Maggie Smith of this show. You know, she's the, love. she is, she is, but she's made, she made a joke in a recent episode. They're talking to everyone and it talks about, it, it's a, it was a thing in the 1800s to be able to say, you know, I was, my family was on the Mayflower. I, my, my time in the new world goes back that far. You know what I mean? And she's, everyone claims they were on the Mayfire. If, for every person <laughs> that's on the Mayfire, that, that, that should have been Noah's Ark or something. You know, <laughs> she made some sort of yeah. joke like that boat had to have been huge because of all these people that claim that they can trace their lineage back to having come over on the original Mayflower. So just a little completely uh, non Star Trek related. Thing. Except for our Donna Murphy <laughs> reference, of course. Has there been a USS Mayflower? I guess I should know the answer to that, really. <laughs> but um, uh, I did see my comments about Gates McFadden being really good for this show got echoed by a Crusher combo, and we're getting some chatter online. So that's kind of cool. Nice so maybe one. We'll see, maybe we'll see a reuni- reuniting of Anuj and Beverly. Just, just will it. We'll manifest it. Sir? Wonderful. A feeling of great joy. And gratitude. Great joy. And gratitude. Continuing our new feature of Great Joy and Gratitude is where we give a shout out to the Trek moment of the week. And that's our personal Trek moments of the week. Uh, those moments that brought us great joy and gratitude. Um, so, Kelvin, what got you excited in the world of Star Trek this week? Oh, I'm being very, very consumer here. And it's a new piece of merchandise. So uh, Insight Editions, which are a company who I don't really know too much about, they've released a new uh, advent calendar uh, for Christmas this year, um, which is a lovely little, I I believe it's the original series Shuttlecraft Galileo, I think, 
might be uh, a next gen, can't remember, but I've ordered it and it's uh, an advent calendar with different small pieces of merchandise in every day, I guess. Now I had the Borg Cube advent calendar that was two or three years ago. Um, and I think this is the first one they've done since that. A lot of people didn't really rate the advent calendar. They said it was all just a load of tat inside, really cheap rubbish. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, so I was really happy. I hope James isn't listening to this podcast, actually, because it is a little surprise that I bought for him. So, <laughs> so I may have just ruined that. Uh, but yeah, when it comes in the mail ahead of de December the 1st, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll have some new merch. So I'm very excited about that. That's my piece for the week. So that your way to find out if he really does listen. Yeah. He said he no, well, he said he only listens to the episodes that Amy's on, so I think we're safe. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah, savage. I'm gonna have to have some words with him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Uh Mark, what's got you going today? Well, uh, we just covered, and this is trek related, a roundabout way. We just covered uh, a Dune episode in my Cinema Z podcast, where we talk films, and we covered like all of the Dune movies uh, and some of the book and, and what have you. And part of Cinema Z is we reenact um, moments from the films, but we we play along and uh, and play out scenes. And listeners, it's worth it to tune in to that episode strictly just to hear Matthew Jennings do his Patrick Stewart impersonation uh, in when he was in Dune. And it is so funny. He does such a good Sir Patrick because he tried to channel uh, Brent Spiner's. So his impersonation is based on Brent Spiner's impersonation of Sir Patrick Stewart. And it is to die for. So check that episode out. <laughs> All right. So my uh, I'm going to give two quick ones. Um, well, one quick one and one maybe a little bit longer. Um, First off, um, we've confirmed that Strange New World starts production, starts filming uh, on December 10th already. They're going to make those actors work through Christmas, it sounds like. <laughs> um, so they're getting the show right back to production. They they truly did have a plan to, they were, I know they had said they were working every month when the month reset and the strike was still going on. They're like, well, well what happens if the strike finishes this month? And so they would always, they would redo all their plans and so apparently that did work um and they have started up pre-production i heard on section 31 this week too so the uh it's, it should be filming imminently what um, do you guys think she's gonna pop out do you think what oh i hope she pops out in tng time that'd be so cool i know right i mean that's gonna be the big where what timeline does she come into and where does it make sense mark i think i guess if you really look at it this could be a financial thing. Like, wh wh what do they have the sets for? You know, um, she better not pop you know? out in 2023. I will freak. <laughs> oh, I, I think Star Trek needs to leave current day adventures alone for a very long time. <laughs> I know it. I know financially it makes sense, but yeah. Um, well, we, we could manifest that if Academy is in future discovery and everyone's pissed off that Picard season three, unless we get legacy is done. I would like Michelle Yeoh to appear in kind of Picard season three and she could pick up with Bashir and Bashir could be in section 31 with her. And I think that would be fabulous. Oh yeah, Calvin. Mm, That'd be great. Yeah, I, uh, that would be really cool. 
my other little bit of news is there's been some worry over the last year or so that uh, Star Trek novels are losing steam. And I think this year was the first, the amount, uh, we have not seen as few Star Trek novels released since 1980 in, in 2023 versus 1980. In between the years, we've always had a plethora of Star Trek novels. Well, uh, next year, we already know of three novels that are are due, including Firewall, which is a Picard novel that will deal with uh, uh, Seven of Nine's journey right after Voyager returns back from the Delta Quadrant and kind of explains to us how she gets to the Fenris, Fenris Rangers. So, And they announced two others this week. One is called Lost to Eternity, which will be a, uh, it's a TOS T, uh, movie era novel takes place actually in three timelines, um, I believe, actually current day during the Enterprise's original five-year mission and um, in the time after Undiscovered Country. But um, I believe we see characters like Jillian Taylor and Savick return in this novel. So it should be really fun for all the movie fans to see those characters back. And I think the one I'm most excited about is called Pliable Truce. It is a TNG novel kind of a TS9 crossover, and it deals with the Cardassian, ex the Cardassian exiting Bajor. It's literally right before DS9 starts, and it's still Tarek Nor, but the Enterprise goes to help mediate the evacuation a little bit, and Ensign Rowe is, event is, is, is supposed to be in this novel, and it looks like from the cover, Garrick is in this novel. So, yeah, we get to see a little bit of a prequel to DS9. You know, um, James is a prolific reader of all the Star Trek novels. I saw the image of the cover of the one with Savick on, yeah. and I, I thought of you instantly. I thought, ooh, Christos is going to love this. Yeah, and our very own uh, Jason Anderson had to, like, take a stab at me online to say it's the better Savick, because it is yeah. the, the, the images <laughs> of the, the Robin Curtis Savick, not uh, Kirstie Alley. I'm fine, especially if you're going to play her later. So, Kelvin, would you like to introduce our topic? I would. You know what? It's been that long since we've done a man versus machine episode. I thought, why don't why don't we do so another long. one? So, so long. long. So oh, long. Eternity. Like it was only last week. Um, so we're on part seven, man versus machine, which if you recall was supposed to be last week's episode. Uh, we are going to be looking at the doomsday machine from the original series, season two, episode six. Previously covered, we've had the ultimate computer. Uh, from the original series, uh, Nth Degree from TNG, Enterprise Dead Stop, Project Daedalus from Discovery, and Where Pleasant Fountains Lie from Lower Decks, and last week's episode, Bar Association from DS9. Mark, do you want to give us a synopsis? Do I? All right. Uh, so, in this episode, the Enterprise discovers a weapon capable of destroying entire planets, and Starfleet flag officer, whose crew was killed by the machine, jeopardizes the crew on a crazed mission of revenge. Here we go. Uh, thank you very much, Memory Alpha, for that awesome synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of right. It's very basic. I, I always love sometimes when you uh, read these basic synopsis, and it's like, oh, you got it all down in the two sentences you know, a 50-minute uh, screenplay, right? And it's not too far off. So initial thoughts. What do we think of this episode, uh, Mark? Well, this is 
ranks up among one of the best TOS episodes. I mean, um, it's a, it's an absolute classic. I mean, people quote this all the time. Uh, it's very memorable. You have that weird planet killing machine. Uh, there's a lot of great Scotty moments in this with engineering ingenuity. Um, we have uh, what transporter chief Kyle makes an appearance in this too, who is in strange new worlds. There's, there's a lot going on here. Some great acting. Uh, the guy that plays Decker, he just gets to the point of being over the top, but doesn't go full on. He gets right up to the line. I feel like, but doesn't, doesn't overdo it. Like it's, it's crazy, but not, too crazy. I thought he could. I, thought he'd I may disagree job. with that, but we'll, we have a whole topic about that, so we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that a little deeper here in a minute. Kelvin, what do you think about this episode? Yeah, I, I'm with Mark. I, I like this episode. I think this is a good original series episode for next generation fans to watch if they find some of the older aspects of Star Trek a bit jarring in the way. Kind of they portray Starfleet. I I think it's aged very well. There's nothing like really distasteful in it, where you think it's been kind of retconned later in in Next Generation DS9 and so on. So There's yeah, people in bunny suits here. It, exactly. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot. It, it's it's a really good story. It deals with some good themes. It, it's not perfect. You know, Uhura's not in it for a start. Oh, um, I know. Yeah, Uhura's day off. And all the this first thing happened. I noticed about that. Yeah, but I mean, it could have literally been the shell. It just lifted and shifted to a different actress. Um, but yeah, love it. I, it is one of the more pleasant. If I do a, a rewatch of uh, the original series, I will undoubtedly skip a number of episodes. This isn't one that I do. I really like it. Um, also as well... Um, do you recall now? I'm asking you. We've, we've already been talking about our failing memories today. Cast your mind back to the pandemic, and the the three of us here, plus some of the dear friends, we would do our Sunday night zooms, and we originally started doing them to do episode rewatches together. And this was the episode that we chose first. So a group of us all got on and it was quite serious and we were watching the episode. And then as we had a drink, it descended into silliness. And then every subsequent week, it's like, well, let's just not do an episode rewatch. Let's just get, get drunk and have a chat with each other. So this episode is quite special because it makes me think of you guys and all our friends that all those Aww. weeks that we spent in the pandemic. Now, Aww. see, now you have a, uh, that, that, no, oh, I like that. I like that. I do remember, of course, all that. I don't remember this being the first episode or whatnot. I don't think we spent much time doing that. Are those talks quickly defended into just talking? It was two um, weeks. We did this episode and we did and TNG. The first episode. Yeah. <laughs> and then that was, wow. that was it. Once uh, wow. people started doing impressions and telling jokes and the episodes kind of got lost. <laughs> I think we can see Kelvin's memory is much better than mine. I will say I did have some red wine as I watched this last night. It's the only way I can handle Commodore Decker. Um, so this is, I agree, it's, it's one of the biggest or most known TOS episodes. It's definitely one that I've probably seen almost the most um there's a few others um but you know i like the episode overall um we definitely after helping actually 
researching this episode to put some of the trivia and whatnot together, it kind of informed what I was feeling a little bit. There is, there's parts of this episode that have some flaws, but let's just say, I'll, you know, anything does. But overall, I, I have a positive, positive outlook on the episode. But um, yeah, we'll dive into it. Uh, topic one um, is the indestructible machine, which we see is a trope that often turns up in sci-fi, right? The computer gone crazy, which is this whole, actually, this whole series that we actually cover here in, um, on All Good Things. But um, so what do we think about the Doomsday device? What I was reminded of is that planet in TNG where they went down and they had the uh, the arsenal. Was it the Arsenal of Freedom? Oh my God! I remembered a title. Oh, this is shocking, <laughs> listeners. I bet, can't, I bet you can't remember the name of the computer system. Oh God, no! But I, I'm shocked I remembered the title of the episode. But anyway, uh, yeah, they go down and it's the same kind of idea where both sides got destroyed because they had created this machine oh we should cover that on this i I was gonna say i think you just got part eight figured out for us (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah both both sides of the war got destroyed because this one side created this um you know mechanism that's just gonna kill pretty much everything that moves um and so it kind of reminded me of that a little bit and i like that idea because it is a commentary on i guess where culture was at in the 60s and like the atom bomb and like okay we're going to annihilate ourselves as a species if we don't slow down on building all these giant uh you know weapons of mass destruction so i think that's cool i think it's a cool concept i nice. um i find it quite interesting that you went there straight away with that because to me that's one of the downsides of the story that it was almost that the science was taken away from the episode in that this was pure action and obviously it dealt with a lot of you know survivor guilt mental health issues with Decca. but it had this imagine you know beverly crusher being in this episode she wants she would have wanted to find the builders find out who they were what happened to them a little bit more backstory into the culture that made this device rather than it just being this thing that wandered the galaxy destroying solar systems so it almost seemed action for action's sake rather than there being stakes to it and it it mattering more it's funny you mentioned beverly crusher because i was gonna I, i will i will invoke her in saying that she would have had this guy removed a lot sooner than mccoy <laughs> yeah she would have recognized oh, yeah, yeah the, she would have recognized the uh in, you know that he was unfit for duty and, and not been afraid to invoke that but um i mean that's all hypothetical of course but yeah i just feel like it would that feel like that's that's part of the when i do talk about the failings of this episode that was one of them for me i know we're kind of jumping ahead to talking about the commodore but um yeah what do you think uh, of I was... the design of the planet killer? Because of, clearly it's well established that it's a machine straight away, but it almost looked quite organic in the way that it was like, it... like a worm. It was yeah. almost seemed like a least dwelling organism rather it... than a constructed machine. It's funny you say worm because it does look like the sandworms in Dune. It does. And it reminds me of things like the probe in Star Trek Four and things like that, where it's like, you know, it could be um, 
is it alive? Is it organic or is it a machine? It definitely looks more organic, you know, like spacefaring, uh, alien. I think I just mentioned earlier, actually, I pay, play Star Trek Timelines, which is an iOS game uh, on my phone. And they added a new feature, which is um, you work in fleets with other players and you have to destroy the planet killer. So if you invest a lot in the game and you've leveled up a lot, clearly you're a lot stronger. So you have to find a, a fleet with people who are also as strong and then you take on the planet killer. And it's really frustrating for me because they have easy, normal, hard, etc. Ex, uh, et and I'm just at a point with it where I can't proceed any further because I hope no one's listening who's uh, a member of my fleet, but nobody's strong enough to help us take it out. So I hate oh. the panic killer. It, remind, it reminds me of those little bugle like uh, corn chips that you put at the end of your fingers. And you got to put one on each of the fingers <laughs> and then you eat them individually. Like, like a, a witch, like, you know, like your witch fingers. Oh, yeah. You pretend they're, they're nails. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, the, I like the idea of the indestructible machine. I think what, I think what we're all kind of articulating here is that we don't ever learn enough about it. And there needed to be either a, a follow-up episode or B, there's needed to be a little bit more exposition into it, but you know, they do kind of set it up as this, you know, I mean, it's taking out entire solar systems, including suns. So, but it's only a little bit bigger than the starship. So, uh, I found that a little. I mean, I could see it eating an asteroid, but it, I, no. If you put that thing next to a planet, uh, the planet's going to dwarf it. So, does it just keep munching until it punches a hole through it? I, I mean, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Who knows? Well, we didn't see it, did we? There was no. We, they couldn't afford the VFX to do it. But I mean, imagine if this. The uh, budget was bigger for location shoots. There were there would have been an away team on that. We would have been looking inside of the damn thing. You know, it's just uh, we, we could have made it better. Yeah, it's it's definitely a bottle episode in that respect. I mean, the sets that we see on the constellation are just redressed Enterprise sets. So it's it, this this was a low budget show for sure. Whatever they you know, and it's funny. I haven't. I've only seen the. I can't tell you the last time I saw it with the original special effects. You know, the 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 newer special effects were done in the 2000s, and that's how I watch it now. And whenever I have to watch a TOS episode, so I haven't even gone back to see what the uh, what the original version of that looks like. The crazy Commodore is pretty much the focus of this episode. Um, Commodore Matt Decker. Yes, we show up. The you know constellation is adrift. They beam an away team over, and they basically find this super traumatized Commodore, uh, who who, you know, why they didn't beam him directly to sick bay and start this guy, you know, on psychiatric treatment is beyond me. But we didn't. I guess television, you know, we have to have some. It's got to make sense dramatically. We can't solve our problem just like that. But eventually, we find this guy to be. Quickly, he's Captain Ahab, but it's Mopey Dick, which is a trope we see a lot in Star Trek. Um, but, you know, he commandeers the Enterprise because the, I believe the transporters prevent Kirk from coming back over. And he could even, even if Kirk had been on the Enterprise, he still could have pulled the rank move that he did. Although, you know, Kirk kind of pushes a mutiny toward the end, I guess, technically. I don't know. 
I don't know. What, what do we think about our crazy Commodore? I liked the actor. I don't know. Like I said at the beginning, I, I felt like he played him crazy. Uh, and I th- felt like he did go to the edge of, okay, you're overacting, but I don't think he crossed the line, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed his performance overall. Uh, I've seen some some flat acting on TOS, where it's just like, okay, this person did like a uh, shampoo commercial the week before, and now they're on. But then there's this guy who really did act. So uh, I appreciate I appreciate that, that it wasn't flat. I'll give you that. Yeah, he's definitely not flat. I, I likened his performance at crazy almost, but almost like he was playing a drunk as well. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the whole, it kind of, that's the kind of way, you know, it kind of came across, especially with, you know, they actually went as far as letting the guy have some scruff because he's been out in space mm-hmm. for a while. I mean, that's actually a really nice touch to show that he's not in his right mind um, and that he's delusional. When, but yeah. When it was done too far is when they were on that planet. Uh, well, it was the, the episode. I'm doing so good today. The episode of TOS called Away Mission. And they're on that, they're on that plane, planet. Um, and they ha- they see the Alice in Wonderland or whatever. And then they see... Um, Okay, now I can't remember the character's name, but it was like Kirk's schoolhood friend, Finnegan. huh? Finnegan. Finnegan. Now that guy was camp to the next level. That dude took it to a thousand and was distractingly bad. Uh, so thank goodness we didn't get a repeat of that. That's Sorry, all. Mark. The episode was called Shore Leave. <laughs> I was close. Shore leave away mission. You know, whatever. <laughs> thank you. I, I will take my half point. I was at least on the same page. Yeah. Data insufficient. Uh... Data insufficient. <laughs> I love, uh, I love that. Two things about Decker in these like disheveled performance that stood out. There was when you first see him and he's at the desk and he's supposed to be depicting someone in shock, but he just kind of has the most bewildered look on his face. And I guess it was quite hard to articulate that in the 60s. We're a lot better talking about mental health now and PTSD and things like that. Uh, And it's a lot wider understood. So that was the initial reaction to him. I just thought this is going to be bad and overplayed. But as the episode went on, he had he functioned a lot more but also as well something that really stuck and i think this is a lot of still imagery if you did like a google search on the character he sits in the captain's chair really weird like he's not fully in the chair he sits on the side and he's kind of like hold it i mean this means nothing to the listeners because i'm acting it out now but he's like holding the back of the chair and he's holding the data uh discs really it's straight. like he he's yeah, he kind of looks reminds me of like a villain in an '80s like teen movie where he's driving the sports car and his arms hanging out the window and the wind's through his hair and he's got like the aviator sunglasses. He's just like kind of a dick. It, it's kind of that, but in the captain's chair. Yeah, you know, I think it just dawned on me why I don't care for it. I think he's he. You're, I think we're supposed to have empathy for him that he has been through something and he's not right, but it just comes off as a villain. That's a really good point. He comes off as a villain instead of somebody who I should have sympathy for because he's so traumatized and he's, you know, just deranged. And I just almost look at him as like what they need to, 
they need to beat him now too on top yeah. of the doomsday machine and the quite disparate states really when you think of someone who's in such shock that they're almost catatonic because they're kind of processing it to someone who then goes to being highly functional obsessed behavior i'm in charge i'm we're gonna battle the planet killer even though we'll probably get destroyed i don't care i just want to do damage they're very different states of mind those and to go from one to the other is yeah. very strange yeah and i know spock was kind of playing the end game here but in the meantime i know spock's letting it all play out and letting him hang himself so to speak right when he'll he'll make uh, he'll do something so illogical that then spock can do things above board or whatnot but i i still argue that they could have relieved him for medical or you know or, or mccoy could have definitely said no you need to come have a medical evaluation before we'll let you be in command where you've been through too much these are that's the parts where i was thinking beverly like in tng it would have been handled differently but i think maybe your point kelvin about this was done in the 60s and it we knew so much less and people would probably not you know have challenged that way so there's that it's this whole point of you know where we're in the 60s but we're trying to act like we're 300 years in the future this will come up later on folks in my regeneration um that becomes a trope of why maybe some of this doesn't look right to us in 2023 looking back because we've we've evolved so much as a society and how we look at somebody who's traumatized whereas back then man we probably swept it under the rug and just kept on going and and if you could keep on going and it would be um, probably looked at as uh, manly or, you know, you look mm -hmm. at you, you're known right back at your desk, right back at your, you know, when people like, you know, don't take the time to process, but that you were probably rewarded for how fast you could suck it up and get back to work. Yeah. I did take an issue with his command decision to beam his crew down to the planet while they're dealing with the planet killer. <laughs> I thought surely, surely there's another option. Maybe you know, consider the escape pods or something. Yeah, really, not really command school 101. That one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also other things that we know. I mean, this off often comes up wrongly in Star Trek, but even those older constellation or constitution best constitution vessels. Um, could separate the saucer. You just had to go That's back right. to a you just had to go back to a starred base to put it back together. Um, so you could have done that, you know. And I don't know, just me thinking outside the budget as usual. <laughs> I always say that to do a court martial because we'd just be querying. Why yeah. did you make that decision? <laughs> well, it's like when you watch TNG so many times, it's like you know. How many times would a saucer separation have solved the problem? And mm -hmm. of course, they didn't do it. It, it becomes one of the, so we're, sometimes we become critics of having watched so many episodes of Star Trek, especially so many times and knowing so much about the universe that we're like, no, we, we, we would, we, this episode would be over in the first act because we would have done XYZ and solved the problem. We need the power from the saucer's impulse engines. We can't separate uh okay Riker. all right so let's go into uh assimilations and regenerations it's kind of funny this is really kind of 
kind of become my favorite part of our episodes is when we do this part. It's, it's <laughs> how this started off as a, just a little thing, but um, it's the part I look forward to the most because I think we can be, um, you know, it's kind of the ups and downs, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. All right? I also like that we often have opposing views as well. There's been times where someone's listed something as a regeneration and I've come out and said, no, I love that. <laughs> The remastered effects for external shots in the Planet Killer look pretty cool. I would agree with that. I um, I I do remember when these in America. I don't know about you guys, Kelvin, for you, but in America, these started airing on television around 2006 when they were working on these episodes, and they they before they were available on home video in any way, sensor form, and before we even had streaming platforms. These actually started airing one per week as a new episode in on the weekend. And that's where I started watching these remastered. And it was you know, aside from having seen um, um, the enter the classic Enterprise show up in Enterprise um, in the Mirror Universe episode. I remember being really blown away at seeing the the TOS Enterprise looking that great on television when these started airing in 2006. Yeah, I, it was a very similar time for us. And um, a lot of the million and one cable channels that you get these days, there's always, there's about five channels that show Star Trek every weeknight. And they're all in slightly different hour, like one's at four, one's at five, one's at six, one's at seven. So and they all use the remastered originals when they're using them, and they have done for years and years. So I can barely remember what the original shots look like. It's just the actual beauty of these, and the Planet Killer itself was it was just so textured, um, kind of like the body, if that's the right, the hull, I guess. It was. It just looked really good, and the scenes where the Enterprise is flying through at the beginning, you've got the debris from all the planets that looked really good as well. Mm -hmm. So. You know, good job to whoever's job it was to clean all of this up. Um, it's, you know, because even the remasters are still quite old now. So they've stood the test of time. Yeah. Uh, the de-aging has aged well. <laughs> I don't know if they'll end up redoing these or not. But, you know, I, I just liked that the, this came the year after Enterprise was canceled. So we kind of had these, and then we had the T the 2009 movie, and then of course the big project of the the TNG remasters to high to high definition and Blu-ray and whatnot. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that kept Star Trek alive through those years before Discovery, and you know we only had three Kelvin movies that were over the course of that, those 11 or 12 years between what I guess the Berman era and the Discovery era. An assimilation that I, I've got for this episode is it's classic uh, Picard, uh, Picard, listen to me, classic McCoy and Spock in the way when McCoy is desperate for Spock to take back command and demonstrate that he's he's not fit for command. Spock just goes along with it. You know, he he's saying, no, he's quoting the correct regulations that he's a superior officer and he's allowed to take charge and you can see mccoy is so frustrated with spark for you know had that been kurt kurt would have started a mutiny he would have just said no you're you're not having it i don't care if we've scanned you or not yet but spark just goes along and in hindsight you can't help but think of the the 2009 movie when spark uh is emotionally compromised from the destruction of vulcan that they then throw 
regulation 619, I think it is, at him, saying you are emotionally compromised, so you have to relinquish command. So clearly, they didn't have that in the 60s, even though it's the same time frame. They have a, a very um, Blanche and Dorothy relationship, and I love that. True. <laughs> That's the part, though, Calvin, for what you were saying. Blanche and Dorothy, I love that. Um, that's where Beverly would have. That's where it would have been different had this been twenty years later. That he would have been. You know, there, there would have been no back and forth there. Kind of jumping back on it because I don't see anybody else drop this into uh, any of the assimilations. I do also love that we get the classic. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> In this episode, we get one of those tropey McCoyisms that you know he's <laughs> that have almost been you know more that the the reputation they have exceeds how many times they were used. It's mm. not a trope. It's iconic. It's I. There you go. Yeah, it's not tropey. It's iconic. Oh no, I love it. I love it. I mean, that would get made fun of in all the you know Saturday Night Live skits and other things that followed. I'm a, I'm a doctor, not a. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I took note here when they first beamed onto the constellation. And Kirk mentioned, he's like, oh, there's no clutter, no half-empty cups of coffee. And in my head, I, I know I put it in the simulations, and I did because I liked it. That's why it's in the simulation. But it also is kind of regeneration because, like, what starship are you going on where, you know, uh, you just walk into the engine room and you're going to find half-consumed cups of coffee sitting around? Uh, I do love that he implies that his staff is sitting around drinking coffee. That's cool. There's coffee in that nebula. But um, no, I, I just found that weird because no, there's not going to be clutter everywhere. What are you talking well, about? Well, that's actually a perfect segue to my my first regeneration, Mark, because things like that, there's no half empty cups of coffee. Scotty, you just earned your pay for the week. And the mention of or the allegory to the hydrogen bomb in the 20th century. It's all, for me, those are all things that take you out of it. That's all things that make you forget that you're 300 years in the future. It's writing to current times and modern times, and which was the late 1960s, and not writing to the future moment. And that's when Star Trek gets it wrong, I think, when they use current lingo, current observations, like... They haven't, you just earned your pay for the week. When, I think, you know, when money's been gone for a long time at this point, you know, the, these guys probably didn't even grow up in an age where you needed money, let alone would make that uh, reference to a paycheck or um, mention to the hydrogen bomb. And I guess that's supposed to be your big lesson, right? The hydrogen bomb and doomsday machines and devices that weren't meant to be used. I mean, that's the Gene Roddenberry narrative of looking at society now through society in the future. But I think for me, it's a little bit too nail on the head, as they say. I don't know. I, I, in Star Trek, they do it a lot where they are referencing 20th century uh, matters in a list, but then they will throw an example into the list of something that hasn't happened yet for us. So they might be talking about a person and say what if this person is the next adolf hitler or khan singh or john smith you know <laughs> it's yeah. someone that we don't know yet so they're trying to rectify that situation you've just said christos of not making it too much 20th century reference but that has become so 
well, who are these people that you're talking about? So they can't get it right for getting it wrong. I have a regeneration and you know what I'm like for canon and continuity. It just really bugged me that the away team, when they beamed down, uh, were established to be an engineering team. Yeah, most of them were wearing command and science uniforms, but yeah, they were all Scotty's engineering team. So, well, did they just think the, oh, what pretty looking uniforms? We need an array of colors. It's, well, no, they should all be in red. Get it right. Yeah. Oh, good, I, good call out. Speaking of that away team as well. Now, I must hold my hands up here. I may have glanced at the phone and taken myself out. I don't recall that away team making it back to the Enterprise. <laughs> Obviously, McCoy being back with Decker, and then Kirk was there till the end with Scotty. When did this these away teams he tells them to beam everybody over but but i can't remember if it actually happened i know it's i only saw i only saw scotty come back (laughs) oh they definitely should have been in red shirts then yeah exactly more more of a reason (laughs) my regeneration for this episode well i think it was touched on by both of you guys and maybe myself earlier on in the discussion but decker was clearly a nutcase how spock ever let him in command is beyond me uh spock we know spock he's intelligent like (laughs) clearly the guy is nuts so why would he and after all the stuff he's been through why would they just anyway so that's just a regeneration for me it shouldn't have happened come on Spock. wasn't it funny when when they said um can you not deem him medically unfit and it's like oh um well i've not examined him get your bloody tricorder out i mean he has eyes (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Bev would have done it. Bev would have done it. Um, you guys probably didn't know what to do with this one of mine here. I put that shuttlecraft bay door, but once again, ca- ca- Captain, we have an unscheduled launch from the shuttle shuttle bay. You know, someone just goes down to the to the um to the shuttle bay, takes the shuttle, launches, leaves. It's no problem. You don't need any code. You, you how many times that you see that happen in Star Trek, especially oh, on TNG. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, in Voyager. At least 47. At least 47. <laughs> well, um, question for you, Christos. Uh, I'd be interested to see, because we haven't seen it yet, but the TOS Enterprise, but in Strange New Worlds, like the Strange New Worlds Enterprise, we haven't been to the shuttle bay yet. Do you think they're going to make it look like the remastered version that we've seen here? Or do you think it's going to be discoveried where it's going to be like six football fields long? What do you think? Um, I hope they, you know, for the sake of fans not losing their heads, that they make it as much like the original they can. But, you know, you're right. We've seen engineering. We've seen cargo bays several times, I think, on Strange New Worlds. But I don't think we and we've seen shuttles for sh- for sure, and even the the shuttles are a little bigger, right, than the, the old TOS episode. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. But we have not actually been to the shuttle base, so I let's put that down as a hope for season three mm. um, wish list because I would like to see. I like the shuttle base when they do scenes down there. I know they're extremely hard because you have to build those life-size shuttles from the outside. Um, One last little regeneration from me, and this is me with my gatekeeper hat on. I hated that they used the torpedo sound effects for when the phasers were firing. It's, come on, that's so basic. Well, and it's like, and and 
this is maybe somebody listeners, if you know this, is that something that they purposely carried over from when they did the um, the remaster because it was wrong in the original, or did they mess it up in the remaster, or is it something they should have just fixed in the remaster? Let's segue on into trivia. Calvin, why don't you get us started? Okay, so James Doohan, uh, Scotty, named this as his favorite episode uh, for highlighting of the engineering aspects of the Star Trek world. That's so typical. Oh, I, I love this episode because it's got lots of me in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. It's like, it's like Gates McFadden saying, remember me with my favorite. Because <laughs> it's the me show. <laughs> oh, we're all as vain as each other. Writer Norman Spinard, right? Spinrad, Spinrad, Norman Spinrad. There we go. Norman. Go with that. Norman. Oh, Norman. Writer Norman Spinrad recycled a short story of his called The Planet Eater, which had been uh, roundly rejected by publishing houses despite being heavily influenced by Moby Dick. He was able to convince Gene Roddenberry that it would make a viable subject for an episode, and it did. So, cool. And it ends up being one of the uh, the best of the TOS episodes. So, cool. Oh. Well, here's a little bit of juicy gossip. Uh, William Wyndham didn't enjoy working on the show. He said that William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy weren't getting along at the time, which made the set's atmosphere tense. Oh. Ooh. The library is open. William Shatner. So Leonard Nimoy used to come to set on a bicycle. He used to ride his bike to work often. And William Shatner had a habit of taking the bicycle and hiding it around the set. Well, one time he took the bicycle and he literally strung it up into the rafters. Uh, so when Leonard Nimoy was ready to go home, he had to fish his bike down from the rafters and like the lights and stuff and was pretty pissed. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he, I guess Shatner used to just do a lot of practical jokes that pissed off a lot of people. Well, I mean, when there's a point that it's tense for the guest actors, I guess. You know, that's that's borderline unprofessional, right? You, when, you, when you're not making your home hospitable for your mm. guests, you know, because you're having a tiff. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, you know, I, I, I will go out on a limb, and this is just my observation, listeners. I don't have the best view of William Shatner overall holistically through, you know, much of the things that have been said about him by other actors, by the way he treats other people. By the way, I've seen him behave on the Star Trek cruise and other places in person. I just don't have the highest. I love Captain Kirk, but I'm not saying I like William Shatner. Just saying. All right. Kelvin. So some sources hold that the episode was influenced by Fred Saberhagen's series of berserker stories about a series of robotic killing machines built as a doomsday device by a now vanished race to wipe out their rivals. However, author Norman Spinrad denies the influence. Well, he would, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, I just copied it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't plagiarize that, you know. <laughs> Guilty. Oh, no, nothing no. to see here. Yeah. Brand new information. <laughs> Although the episode usually places very 
highly in fan polls and best of lists, certain members of the production staff were and are a good deal less enthused. Writer Norman Spinrad disliked the end result. Complaining about the casting, he wanted Robert Ryan for Decker, and, underwhelm, and the underwhelming depiction of the planet killer, which he envisioned as having been uh, bristling with weapons. In an interview for the Archive of American Television, Dorothy D.C. Fontana actually named it as her least favorite episode. Oh, no! Say it ain't so! I know. I just, that's a lot there. Um, there's a lot to unpack with this one. Um, first off, like, just the fact that the writer probably envisioned this to be more mechanical and having weapons. And, le and whereas, as we discussed, we got something that could have been maybe even organic as what, what was portrayed on screen. Um, the writer not liking the acting of uh, Decker and basically wanted somebody else. I mean, there's a lot here. You know, thinking about his description and wanting there to be weapons all along the side of the thing and what have you kind of reminded me of uh, the strange new worlds episode from season one, where they had that, uh, that race that was following the comet. Right. And uh, it was uh, the, the comet was the Mahanit, but I can never remember what the, uh, the species was anyway, whatever. Uh, but their giant ship was a multi-generational ship was <laughs> had uh, guns to the nines. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it reminded me of that that ship. Huh? Yeah, that probably would have been a better Doomsday Machine. I don't know. Um, this was one of several episodes produced using only pre-existing sets in an effort to save money. So it's kind of interesting that even by episode six of season two, they were they were trying to to save a little. Usually, it's toward the end of a season that you're out of money, and then you're you're really trying to cut production costs down. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the good things about the original series that they only really have the Constitution class ships. So anytime they needed to encounter another Starfleet ship, you could just use the existing sets. So am I right in thinking that the Reliant in Wrath of Khan was the first like, other class of starship that we saw that wasn't the, Constitution? The first time we saw something in canon in, in the R timeline, yes, yeah. 1982 was the first time we saw another starship design crazy okay so we have um the air pressure measured uh was in pounds per square inch above the constellation whereas these days we would have said uh kilopascal uh kpa is the preferred units of measurements i didn't even notice that and i'm i'm i don't know maybe i'm aging myself here that i've never heard pressure referred to in pounds per square inch that's we we have a very strange relationship here with measurements of you know we say oh we've gone we've gone uh, metric but loads of things are not you know we still work in miles rather than kilometers uh, a lot of things are measured in pounds and stone rather than kilograms it's but i've never heard that unit of measurement pounds per square inch interesting oh actually do you know what i have that's what you do your tire pressure for on your car, PSI. There we go. I'm useless with cars, <laughs> but I've learned something. Oh, my goodness. That's Kelvin just PSI. had an epiphany on air. Listeners. I've had a physics lesson 
spontaneously. There we go. Joe would be so proud of that. I know, Mr. Keegan. Get in here. All right. And then um, uh, this last uh, one, that, you know, the Roller Decker was originally meant for Robert Ryan. But he was unavailable. I think so, we kind of covered that. Robert Ryan, let's see here. Uh, I just, because that's part of the trivia, I just thought it, we'd owe it to our listeners just to figure out like why that was of who, note. Who is he? Who is he? What's he been <laughs> in? Uh, and no, and he was not hot. Uh, I mean, I guess for the time period. Um, let's see here. I don't know why, I, but I'm thinking of Ryan Reynolds. Oh, <laughs> he's just the double R. That's okay, a big so difference. I'll read. I'll read like three that I've actually heard of. So the Tall Man, he was in that, and that's from 1955. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it looks like a lot of westerns. So Day of the Outlaw, uh, that was in 1959, and let's see. Oh, uh, the movie. King of Kings. That's a, that was a very uh, popular movie when that came out in 1961, and he played John the Baptist. So, anyway, there's some of his credits. <laughs> Good for him. All right. So, we'll move on to our final thoughts of this episode and um, where you kind of think it ranks and are, are now being part seven of this list. And I think, like I said earlier, we know what part eight's going to be. So, uh, Kelvin, why don't you give me your final thoughts on Doomsday Machine? Um, as, as we started off with initial thoughts, I will mirror to say that I think it is a good episode of the original series. A very enjoyable rewatch, a very classic episode with some great themes. Um, the issue I have with it being included in our Man versus Machine series is what i said earlier about the planet killer's appearance and design made it look more like a space dwelling life form rather than a machine and i think it, it could have taken the story in a different direction if it was organic and it, it i know it's a bit 10c like in that it's destroying yeah. the planets it doesn't know it's doing harm how are we going to get it stop how are we going to communicate completely different direction but they just didn't monopolize on the idea that this was a machine it, that could have been built, deactivated, a history, a problem to solve. It was just, let's blow it up. Yeah, and so I think, I think seen... man versus, yeah, man versus machine has been done better elsewhere. Yeah. I think you see that a little bit with what they said about the writer not being happy with the appearance and that, it, yeah. to your point, because of the way it was depicted on screen, it leaves open all this controversial because if it was just a ship, you'd be justified in trying to destroy it, right? But if it's a living, you kind of get into that whole tropey, you know, do we have yeah, the right to destroy dilemma. it? Yeah, that and that yeah. would have been great. Mark, uh, it was stupid that Uhura wasn't in this episode. Clearly, yes. the lines were written for her. I don't know where Nichelle was, but I think it was just more of to appease the studios where they have less of the black lady on television. So that pisses me off right off the bat. But <laughs> hot take, hot take. Uh, <laughs> but aside from that, uh, I did really enjoy the episode overall. Decker, we see again through... Um, the motion picture we we have a sort of a nod to that with his son being on it uh and i think the character itself of decker is compelling enough and was acting well enough where i actually 
care to sort of know more about him. And I am intrigued and would love to see his appearance earlier, maybe in Strange New Worlds. I just want to see more of the character. That way it even ups the stakes more when he shows up again in this episode. So, uh, yeah, that's how I feel about the episode. Yeah, uh, I think that's one of the beauty things that we have in Strange New Worlds are being able to flesh out some of these TOS era characters, even some of the guest stars. Um, that would be kind of cool to see him kind of before his fall from grace. Um, yeah, um, I think my final thoughts mirror my initial thoughts quite a bit. I'll just say in looking at the other six episodes that we've covered in this, you know, the ultimate computer, the ninth degree, uh, dead stop project Daedalus, where pleasant fountains lie and bar association. Um, this being number seven doomsday machine. I still saying that uh, this particular seven enterprise is a dead stop. is probably still my favorite episode of these, of these episodes. I love that. Ep and there you have it. What shows are on BQN, you ask? Well, here's a rundown of some podcasts you might be interested in. All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast covering all of Trek, hosted by Amy, Mark, Christos, and Kelvin. Bargain Bin Gamer, a YouTube show hosted by Davey, a self-proclaimed gamer who specializes in reviewing and showcasing affordable video games. If you're lost in the Delta Quadrant, check out The Captain's Couch, a Star Trek Voyager podcast hosted by Jeremiah sitting on Janeway's ready room couch. Cinema Z, a film discussion and review podcast showcasing films you probably missed but should definitely check out. Hosted by Mark, Matt, and Laz. Beam Aboard the Galaxy Class, a Star Trek Next Generation podcast covering all of TNG. Hosted by Amy, Joe, Rhea, and Kevin. History with the Zilagis, a snippet of historical events from around the world. Hosted by Chrissy and Jason. For the newest Trek coverage, check out Infinite Diversity. Hosted by Chrissy and Thad. Test your Trek knowledge with Trexperts Quiz, a Star Trek quiz show hosted and written by Davey. Union Federation, covering all things Star Trek and the Orville, which we all know is really a Star Trek show. Hosted by Kyle, Kevin, Amy, and Haley. Spill the Tea with What's the Tea, Bev? A Trek current events and fan interview show hosted by Christos. And for our Patreon members, we have The Hive Mind, BQN's monthly roundtable discussion with hosts and listeners. It's Green, a cornucopia of topics hosted by Mark. And Amy's Math Moments, a quick look at math moments in Star Trek, hosted by Amy. We know you have a choice of podcasts to choose from, and we thank you for listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. So, Kelvin, why don't you tell us a little bit about next week's very special episode of All Good Things? Oh, is it very special? Uh, well, next week is it's my anniversary uh, of being a host on the show. So um, we are going to continue our host's pick series and we're going to cover my very, very favorite episode of The Next Generation. That's season five's cause and effect 
So I cannot wait to discuss the episode with you all. Well, I'm very touched that you chose a Beverly episode for your pick. The forgotten um, I, Beverly episode. It is a forgotten Beverly episode. Um, uh, trivia out there. Other than we covered the chase for me as, as a host pick. Have we done Mark Amy and Amy did yet? unification. Amy did, Amy did uni unification. Yes, yes. At the right. time, it was a little redundant for me because I was picking all of the episodes. Now it might actually work. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's just I thought it, I was going to point out what I just you just confirmed for me, Kelvin, that we uh, our choices have all been TNG episodes. Oh, yeah. We would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQ and Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also reach us at All Good Pod on Blue Sky. Please join the network on Blue Sky and Instagram at BQN Podcast. We've also partnered with our friends on the Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching their master feed. So, Kelvin, where can people find you when you're not chasing around starships with a waffle cone? When I'm not doing that, people can find me in the BQN Collective Facebook group or over on the socials at Kelvin's Timeline. And Mark, where can people find you when you're not sat alone in the observation room looking deranged because there's no half-empty cups of coffee everywhere? <laughs> I would be deranged without my coffee. Trust me. I, I drink coffee as a public service to not kill anyone. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, so when I'm not doing that... Uh, you can also find me in the BQN Collective Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. Listeners, what are you doing if you're not a member of the BQN Collective Facebook group? Really, check out. It's great. Uh, so when I, I'm also on uh, Cinema Z. It's a film discussion and review podcast. And uh, we have a whole lot of fun out there acting out scenes from our favorite films and drinking and, in general, having a good time. So you should check that out. And I'm also on Blue Sky blue sky school at mw207 mm -hmm. and christos i'm all ready this time and christos where can people find you when you are not relieving calvin of command for being medically unfit by using a hypo spray to knock him out let's see you can find me also on facebook in the bqn collective you can find me on instagram blue sky threads but not on twitter or x Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcasts with our master feed by searching BQN. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Maharan Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. Special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music. And hey guys, I do the art! Yay! Pat on the back. <laughs> if you'd like to help us keep our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We will add you to the High Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy It's Green, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com forward slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out all 
good things.